I'm Willie George, and this is the Creative Sheep Podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Creative Sheep Podcast. This, of course, is the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogue, and I'm joined with my good friend, my best friend, Roman Johnson. You just got really sentimental there. I, I did. Like it. I, I did. like it. It's great to be here, Jared. Uh, how, how are you feeling? I'm great. I'm so glad just to be here. I love I love this podcast. It is a great podcast. It's yeah. one of it's a highlight of my week getting together with you and shooting the breeze and talking about what we got going on the on the show. Uh, and in case you don't know, ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you by creativesheep.org. It's uh, it's your one-stop shop for church media needs. We uh, we create premium media for the church. So if you're planning a service and you're wanting to you want a creative element or maybe a fun countdown to get things going, head over to creativesheep.org. And uh, we got you covered. And folks, if you don't see what you're looking for there, we, of course, offer custom work. You can reach out to us through the site at creativesheep.org. We'd love to, to help you out in any way that we can. Uh, folks, this is episode 29. Well, we're getting there. 29. Wow. We've had 28 episodes to precede this one. That's, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's good. That's a yeah, good catalog. It is. What are some, what are some of the episodes, that we, some, some guests we've had on the podcast so far? Man, we've had... Oh, Let man. me ask, what's, your, what's a couple of your favorites? I just listened back to uh, our interview with Michael E. Gerber, the author of E-Myth. Mm. And it, good grief, man, that interview is incredible. Incredible. Uh, loved, my, loved my talk with Andrew Stone, Daniel Cannell. Um, I really like the one, I, I listened to this not too long ago, Low Switch. Mm. about uh, communication and social yep. media within the church. It was solid. It was that solid. That guy's awesome. Carlos Whitaker. He's got yeah. a lot of energy. I He's, like that about he him. He has so much energy. Uh, Tom Mullins was a great great conversation. And Roman, we have another phenomenal conversation today. Uh, one of my heroes, actually. Mine too. Pastor Willie George. I, I still can't, even just saying that, like chills kind of ran, ran down my spine. It was very surreal being in, yeah. in the in the interview, in the room when we were interviewing him and uh, you talking to him and it was yeah. just, it was really cool. It's crazy because a lot of these are done over the phone, but with him, I actually got to do the interview in person, which was really, really cool. Um, man, it, it, just an incredible conversation. Folks, we're, we're talking about uh, what he's learned in over 40 years of ministry uh, this year, uh, at the time of this recording, he was going on 43 years having been in ministry, uh, which is just lo- that's longer than I've been alive. Yeah, that's um, almost double the amount of time I've been alive. <laughs> but it was a phenomenal conversation. We went over everything from your personal walk w- with Jesus to uh, uh, your your relationship with your wife and your kids, uh, enjoying the journey. I mean, he has so many amazing things to say. And folks, if you don't know who Pastor Willie George is. I don't know what to do for you right now. <laughs> hey, it's uh, okay. It's okay, Jared. We'll, we'll bring him along with us. Yeah. It, it, come on, folks. Let, 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 let's be real here. How many of you, by show of hands out there, you watch the Gospel Bill show? Jared, I don't know if you know this. This is an audio podcast, so we can't actually see hands. We can't see it, but they can still raise them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, of course, he was Gospel Bill. Yes. He's, or is Gospel Bill. Uh, of course, Fire by Night was put on. He's the senior pastor of Church on the Move. He's been known world-renowned world for children's ministry and youth ministry, uh, and just a, an unbelievable leader, uh, someone that I've been under for 15 years now. Uh, I've, I've, I've attended Church on the Move for 15 years. Uh, Roman, you've been here for... 20, 20 years, 22 maybe? 22. You've 20. got me beat by seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I got my start working in ministry at 180, which is the youth ministry that he founded, and 
uh, worked for the church for several years. As did I. And yeah. we got to tell him for the first time ever, this creative sheep would not exist if it weren't for him. Yeah. Uh, we both, Roman and I actually met working at Church on the Move, uh, Pastor George's church. So Pastor George, thank you for everything that you've done. Um, and thank you for doing this interview. So without any further ado, let's get to today's conversation with Pastor Willie George. Well, Pastor George, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. No, my privilege. Uh, first off, how did you get your start in ministry? You know, I uh, within about three weeks of being saved, I knew. It, I don't remember a distinct moment. It was just a growing knowledge that I had. I'm called to preach. That's what I want to do. And uh, didn't have a clue as to how I was going to do it. Uh, I had an uncle who was a pastor. Actually, I had two uncles who were pastors, but one of them I was closer to than the other. And and he heard about this, and he, he, he said, if you'll come and live with me, because my family situation is pretty bleak, and he said, if you'll come and live with me, I will help you if you'll help me reach my teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so I moved in with him my senior year of high school. He put me through a year of Bible school, and, and then I came home and began to help him. And uh, I had intended to be a pastor from day one, but there wasn't a door open, and I didn't want to leave him. And the only opportunity that presented itself to me was to work with kids, First of all, teenagers, and then then with uh, children, and so I began doing that kind of stuff. And we were in Podunk, out in West Texas, just a little bitty town, a million miles away from any kind of resources or other people, nobody to copy, no no fellow ministers to really glean from a lot. So, but that was a blessing because I didn't get stuck with the limitations. Mm that so many guys had. It ex- allowed me to experiment and do crazy things that probably if I'd have been in a cluster of other ministers, they'd just say, you're nuts. And But it's stuff that I was permitted to do, and uh, lo and behold, it worked. And so I was glad to have had that opportunity. When that opportunity presented itself, were you excited about it? Yeah, I, I was really excited about it. I had a, I, I'll tell you what we did. We went to a bus conference because bus ministry was all the rage, just like multi-campus just captures everybody, uh, everybody's imagination today. In 1973, we kind of were on the, the downturn of the coffee houses. I'd been through all of that, and we'd had one and, 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 and you know reached young people. But when you're a talented amount of people, coffee house is usually not a big deal. <laughs> And uh, so, and and we had a coffee house without coffee. We never had any coffee, but anyway, <laughs> uh, but we called it that, you know. So uh, anyway, we went to a bus conference, and in '73 that was all the rage. Everybody was busing kids in, all that kind of stuff. So we we went, and my heart just burned within me because what we heard was a strategy for reaching unreached people, particularly kids, but it would branch into reaching their parents as well. And my uncle and I drove home, took us three hours to get home after that conference that night. We didn't get home the wee hours of the morning, but we were blown away. We, we, we were so excited about opportunities. And we'd been in this big city where people were throwing around all these big numbers and all that, so I couldn't wait to get out and see what it would do in our small town. So on my first day of visitation in that town of 1,100 people, I had one part of the city. There were six or eight teams of us. I did not get one single person to sign up to ride the bus, not one. Mm. We all came back to church, and there were, I think, maybe 15 kids in the whole town who showed any interest at all. And it was such a 
downer compared to what we'd come off of. We'd been on this high, high, hearing these people talking about buses with 50 and 60 and 100 kids on them. Of course, the people we were listening to were coming from Chicago, mm. you know. But we were in this little town, and it just it was disheartening. But I, I went ahead and worked it anyway. And after two or three Saturdays, I was the only one who showed up for visitation. So that bus ministry came to me by default. Mm. And so I picked it up, and, and um, I had a lot of stuff like that that happened by default. It wasn't by design. And when you're in your early ministry, so much stuff that does come your way comes by default. It, it, you, you try to design it, but when you're young and you're getting started, that you, there's no way you can ever design what you're going to do. you got to let God guide you. So our bus blew up. I drove the youth on an outing, and I drove 45 miles an hour, and they told me, don't get this bus over 35 or 40. And I blew the motor up at 45. And uh, so we had started a bus ministry, so we had to have a, another bus. So we borrowed a bus from a dealer about 175 miles away. And we got attached to it, and so we decided to buy the, the second bus, and we got our, old, our first bus fixed. And it was okay for picking up kids in town, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't roadworthy. So we took this new bus when we got the first one fixed, and we said, you know, we, we've got a bus. Let's see if we can fill it. So we went 16 miles down the road to another town, a town of about 3,000 people. And I hit gold down there. I mean, I, I found all kinds of kids to yeah. bring to church. And before long, we had routes that were 70 miles away, literally. Wow. Uh, not as the crow flies, but down the highway, 70 miles away from the church. And I had filled the buses. And uh, I had six routes like that. I had one route that was 70 miles to the east of the town we were in, and another one that was 40 miles away. And one time, we had a preschooler accidentally get on the wrong bus and oh. wound up 112 oh, miles man. from home. We got him all home all right, but but that was always our concern is that because, yeah. you know, these towns were pretty far apart. So down through the years, I mean, you've done some amazing stuff. The bus ministry was huge here at the church, both, even at Church on the Move then yeah, when you started this time. with youth and with kids. Um, of course, Gospel Bill was was a big part of your ministry. Uh, 180 has been a big part of your ministry, and now Seeds has been a huge part of your ministry. Uh, and I know you're doing a lot of traveling and training other pastors right now. Um, and so you've been in ministry now. I know it's over 40 years. Mm-hmm. Is it 43 at the time yeah, of this? Yeah, I fulfill 43, and in the, this fall will be a completion of 44 years of ministry. Wow. Congratulations, first of all. That's incredible. Thank you. Um, so really, that's that's the conversation I want to have today. Is you've done this for a long, long time, longer than I've been alive. You've you've been in ministry, and so I, I just want to hear. And, and a lot of this was inspired from a talk you did at the Seeds Conference a few years ago, uh, just talking about what you've learned over the course of forty years of ministry. And so, uh, first and foremost, here one of the one of the things that you talked about that is super super important is just having your own spiritual walk with Jesus. Um, Really practically speaking, what does that look like for you? You know, one of the things I've had to learn to do over the years is to uh, not feed off my ministry. Now, now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean it isn't rewarding and fulfilling and all of that. But your walk with God is not your ministry. You can have a walk with God without a ministry. And that's very important to have, that that time where... And and I I have never been a real... um, regimented person in terms of every morning at six o'clock I'm doing this or that or the other. I've never been that kind of a guy. 
we never did that with our kids. Even we, mm-hmm. we, you know, we got them up for school and all that, but we never had regular family devotions. I always took advantage of all the little bits of time that I had throughout the day. And I did the same thing with my kids, which is exactly what Moses told uh, parents to do in Deuteronomy 6. He said, when you walk by the way, you talk about this with your kids. When you lay down at night, you talk about this with your kids. So rather than having these lengthy sessions, I always took the 15-minute trip or 20-minute trip on the way to school in the morning to, to teach my kids about the things of God. Hmm. And I made a game out of it. You know, I'd, ask, I'd tell a story, and then I'd ask questions. And I'd give away points. Points are cheap, so you can give away a million points for a correct answer. And uh, and so and I would rig the games. I would make it where you know all three of them could win. But they would really get heated up if I let the youngest win. You know, and uh, because they knew you know she was going to get an easy question. And uh, but anyway, uh, that's pretty much how I've done my spiritual walk. Is it taking times? You know, just praying in the spirit uh, on the way to work. Uh, driving down the road, just spending time like that, all the little available times, the, the, the times that a lot of people forget about. Instead of just always tuning in the radio or that kind of thing, I'm just why not pray? And so I've always done that. And what it does, it'll often stimulate in me a line of thinking hmm. that uh, will drive me to a truth or to something where uh, I will plow it out. So if I, if I get a an idea about a take on Scripture or something that God shows me, I'll, I'll, I'll follow that for days and days and days until it's deeply embedded in me, and that's how I gain truth. And um, I'll give you a great case in point. Years ago, I, I, I saw something in the Word that I'd never heard anybody preach or talk about. But what I saw was that when Satan would come at the people of God, if they were... In obedience, when he came at them, and if they were following him when they came, when he came at them, if they would merely turn to God, God would actually take what Satan did and flip it on him, and make him wish he had never come against God's people. That's what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Satan came up with a plan to have everybody in the kingdom worship this big tall idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were caught in the crossfire. They they did not bow down. But when they stood and when God delivered them, and I, I, I am a believer in the fact that they knew they were going to be delivered I, I because they were standing on Isaiah 43, and they knew that God had promised that if they were ever thrown into fire, uh, and it's the only place in the Old Testament where that ever happened, that we read about, that anybody was thrown in fire. God said, when you walk through the fire, I'll be with you. It won't kindle on you. And exactly what happens in Daniel is what the promise is in Isaiah, which was given about 200 years before the three guys. So when that when that trial was over, they, were, uh, they advanced the kingdom of God more than if there'd never been a trial at all, which I found fascinating. Same thing happened with David and Goliath. The Philistines banked everything in Goliath, and when he went down, it blew up on him. So, same thing with the cross. Uh, when you know Satan rejoiced at the cross, thinking that he'd won, and it all blew up in his face. So it, it changed my philosophy about trials. I started mm. thinking, wow, this trial is an opportunity for me to go further than I could if there wasn't a trial. Mm. And so uh, that, but I had to plow that out. I stayed yeah. with that thought for weeks till I researched it, and then I made it a part of my belief system. Wow. Which, and I've heard you tell the story many times with your daughter Charity when she fell and the blood clot on her head. 
Um, you've said many times that you've got to deal with the devil, that anytime he's going to do something like this, you're going to make sure it gets flipped on him. You're going to tell thousands of people yeah. what happened and the victory you had. Yeah, and the cool thing is I've gotten so many testimonies back from people who said, your, your story about your daughter saved my kids' life or saved wow. my life or saved my wife's life. I can't tell you how much that meant to me. And that's the whole purpose of flipping a, a, a tragedy or an attack you flip it so that it can be a benefit, not just to you, but to others. Man, that's incredible. And I've heard you talk before, too, that some, some, uh, even some messages and things that you've taught have come through conversations with your wife, mm-hmm. things that she studies, and will mm-hmm. just say, hey, have you seen this? You know, and that wasn't always the case. Mm. Um, when the kids were little, she didn't have time to read like she does today. Mm. And uh, But now that the kids are out of the house and, and grown, she gets up about 5 o'clock in the morning. She's always been an early riser, but, but now she gets up and she does a lot of reading. And, uh, for instance, this entire Easter message I just did, Jesus the Friend of Sinners, I owe that to her. Wow. And she dug that out, a lot of that out, not all of it, but a lot of it, and it was the seed thought for my Easter message. And this is really a wonderful time in our lives that we're now able to share things on a level that we never shared things before. Hmm. And it's a cool thing about being married a long time. The the longer you go, the better it gets, and and the more mature spiritually things are. And and we kind of ratchet each other up in the things of God. I mean, I'll say something that picks her up. She says something that lifts me up. And and, and, and I think that's incredibly important, that you you can be great um, uh, cheerleaders for each other. Hmm. And I've heard you, uh, or, or I'm going to jump back to something you said just a second ago, is that you can't let your ministry be your relationship with mm-hmm. Jesus. And you've been around a ton of pastors. I mean, you've traveled the globe um, down through these 40 years. What have you seen just with the guys that, that that's not a priority in having a relationship well, with Jesus? Well, I, I, I can tell you this. I can tell you this. I don't care. There are a lot of guys that are gifted and talented, very gifted, very talented. And a lot of people learn how to really work and move a crowd. And just because you learn how to work and move a crowd, that doesn't mean you have a great relationship with God. Hmm. A lot of people can do that. And, uh, but but when, when it comes down to what you really are when you're alone with God and how hmm. you live when you're not seen by the people, if the, if the substance isn't there, you're going to fall. What a lot of people don't understand is ministry... Is And building a team, building a church, building a great organization or a bunch of campuses and all that kind of stuff, all that growth is you're building structure. It's like you're building this big building and you got all these you know steel girders and all this kind of stuff. But structure has weight to it. And if you are not built on something solid, the very weight of the structure you create will collapse you later on. And uh, and I've I've been around, and it's uh, I consider it a blessing. I hate it for their sakes, but I've been around a lot of very gifted men who to who finished way too quickly, hmm. who fell way too early, who did not realize their potential. They rose to the top very quickly. They had tremendous gifting, but they faltered and they fell. And uh, some of them are dead, died prematurely, way too young. And it's because they put the ministry above their personal walk with God. And they made an idol out of it. And 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 what happened is the ministry began to get off. It, it wasn't as accurate as it has been. It wasn't as pure as it once was. And I, you can be a worldwide and internationally known guy and, and, and actually have that happen to you. And uh, 
you, you know, uh, I, I heard a guy who fell back in the 80s. I heard him say this. He said uh, on national television, he said, God showed me if something were to happen with this ministry, 95% of all the gospel work around the world would come to a halt. And when I heard him say that, I thought, oh, no. I thought, brother, you're good. You probably are the biggest ministry in the world right now. But, but uh, it, it, God's not stupid enough to put 95% of his outreach on planet Earth into the hands of one man. He's never going to do that. He's going to spread it around. That's just not the way he... He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That very statement says that God is using all kinds of people. He's not going to use one big church. I mean, I, I look at what's happening here in Tulsa. You know, uh, for a long time, we were the biggest church in the state of Oklahoma. That's changed now. Life churches. Um, we may be the biggest in one location. Who, who cares? But, but what I'm seeing today is there are so many young pastors blowing it up right around our um, right under our in our neighborhood that are doing great. I've got to be a kingdom guy and rejoice in all that stuff. God's going to use a lot of people. He's not just going to use one or two. Mm. For all the young guys out there listening, is it tough? Like seeing like you mentioned Life Church, Craig Rochelle coming into Tulsa. Does that play at all? I know you said you got to be a kingdom guy, but is there yeah, any temptation yeah. to? Uh, oh heck yeah! <laughs> yeah, you know if you got any kind of an ego, and most of us do, we have to deal with those kinds of things. And here's the thing: today we've got so much opportunity to look in on. Every preacher in the country with the internet, we can mm. we can look over and listen to guys' sermons and what and, and you know what we all post. We all post our best stuff. I just preached this Easter message and I was really proud of uh, Sunday at eleven, and it was the best of all the six sermons I did. I, I liked Saturday four. Uh, there were a couple of them I wasn't real happy with, but but Sunday eleven was the very best. Well. You know, I, I told my wife, I said, Deal Moody said, you can't do a sermon justice till you've preached it 50 times. And I thought, I wish I could preach every sermon that many times so I could really get it down. And uh, <clears throat> But anyway, that's what I told our guys to post. I never tell them to post the ones that I think are crappy. <laughs> I tell them to post the ones I think are the best. And that's what we all do. We post our highlight reel. We yeah. post our, our best plays and... You know, our football players at Lincoln are doing that. They're putting their highlight reel down, their best plays of the year and all that kind of stuff. Well, they look like Superman. Yeah. We could also throw some stuff up to show you, you know, <laughs> they, they got pancaked a time or two or they dropped a pass or they, you know. So, uh, but when you live in this age of being able to see all these other people, it can be discouraging because you're thinking about your own failures and you're, and, and you're not thinking about what they went through. They don't tell you what they went through. They don't tell you all the struggles they went through. And But we all have them. We all have those moments of self-doubt. We all have those moments of questioning whether or not we're called or are we going to make it. In fact, when you're young, that's the big question. Am I ever going to make it? Am I ever going to make it? And then when you do make it, you don't even realize you make it. It's like climbing to the top of a mountain in Arkansas. Uh, it's different than going to the top of a mountain in, in Colorado. In Colorado, you know when you've gotten to the top of the mountain because you're above tree line and you can see you can see you're at the top. Yeah. But in Arkansas, you don't know if you're on the top of the mountain or not because there's so many trees on the top of the mountain, and that's what it is with ministry. Am I here? Is this really it? Well, by golly, I think we are at the top. Hmm. You know, I didn't even realize we'd gotten here. Then you start thinking, oh my gosh, can we keep it? Can we keep it? Can we keep it? Can we keep it? Will we lose it? Will we lose it? At every stage of life, there's a battle that you fight mentally. Man. Is there one you're facing right now? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I look at all these young guys, and I, and I see things that they see about the culture and about reaching people and all that, and I'm not quite as in tune with that as I was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. I mean, and it, it it's it's a little different, you know. 
And, uh, and then there's this tendency to think that because my preaching style is different, and it is, it's different from what a lot of young, I'm a scripture guy, I'm going to throw out mm-hmm. 10, 12 scriptures, a sermon, and all that kind of stuff, and most guys are not doing that nowadays. Yeah. And you have a tendency to begin to think, okay, my day is past, I'm done, you know, God's through with me, and nobody likes to think like that. And you've got to learn to put that behind you. I didn't think this would ever come. I, I, I you know, because I'm always, I've always had more than enough self confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and, but I have to say, the last five or six years of my life, I've had more opportunity to be intimidated than any other time in my life. Wow. And including when I first got started. And, uh, because the, the older people deal with this, and that is, okay, is it going to run me by? Because the, the advertisers already have. Hmm. You know, um, about the only thing they're throwing at me now on the, on the television is reverse mortgages and uh, visiting angels to come to your home, you know, those kinds of things. And then uh, uh, blue emu uh, rub for your sore joints, and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's one I've not heard of before. <laughs> um, man, there's there's so much in that. Uh, let's jump into uh, uh, one of the one of the other things I love that you talked about is the importance of your family, keeping your family at the center of what you're doing. And you've got four kids, um, all four of them still love Jesus and are involved in the local church. Um, not to mention their spouses at that. Um, yeah, but for, before I guess before we jump to the kids, I'm pretty excited to talk about that because I've got two young kids of my own and want to know how to raise them right. But with as far as the the spouse side of this, how have you kept uh, Miss Deliva as only second to Jesus with everything that you've had going on? Well, we we had the great blessing of being in a church where our pastor taught a message called life's priorities, and he taught that number one you must have a relationship with God. Number two, you have to have a relationship with your spouse. Three, you have a relationship with your kids. Four, you got a job. And he taught that it comes in that order. You never put your relationship with your kids above your relationship with your spouse. But the cool thing about this priority is that my relationship with God only enhances my relationship with my spouse. Mm. My relationship with my spouse only enhances my relationship with my kids. My relationship at home, my family only makes me better on the job. People who are happy at home are happier on the job. So, the, you know, the idea that, that, that giving priority to a superior relationship somehow diminishes the ones below it, uh, that's not true. It doesn't. It enhances them. Hmm. And so Deliva and I always made time for each other, and you have to do that because your kids, especially when you got three and our kids were real active, it, they can, it can scream at you. You can find yourself not having time for each other. I guarded our day off. Every week hmm. we had a day off, and we spent it together. And I guarded it, protected it. I did not let anybody take that day. I mean, it was, uh, uh, it was sacrosanct with me. And uh, then we always did a family vacation every year, sometimes more than one, but I made sure that we had a great opportunity to do something as a family that would be unforgettable. My kids have been to so many of the national parks, and, 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 you know, and we did it on a shoestring budget. I look back at, 
how we would run down the road with little cars that we rented in California that we could barely afford. We had all of our suitcases wired on the top of the car, and it was crazy. <laughs> we looked like the Beverly Hillbillies, but <laughs> but we we had a great time. And our kids still talk about those trips. They, they loved all of that. And um, I spent time with my kids in the evening. When they got home, we, we, we made sure that we played games. It kept me from having hobbies. And, uh, but the thing is, is that now that I'm older, my kids being involved in the ministry have now bought me that time. And now I have time for a lot of hobbies today oh, wow. that I didn't have when I was younger. So it always pays you back. And now I'm so grateful that I did invest in them and and uh, and uh, give them opportunities to be normal kids. We never ever made our kids hate the ministry. I never made the kids never had to compete with the ministry, hmm. and I never used the ministry as a heavy on my kids. Hmm. No, you can't do this because God, Dad is gospel bill, and it just it wouldn't look good if you went to this movie because Dad's gospel bill. Listen, if I said you can't go to a movie, it's because it's dirty. There's some stuff in it that we don't do because. Of we're Christian, and it has nothing to do with Dad's ministry or being well-known. It has nothing to do with that. And so my kids never hated the church, never had to compete with the church. The other thing is I never put them in the spotlight. I tried to keep my kids out of view. I didn't bring them to the platform. I didn't take pictures of them. I didn't tell everybody. I didn't tell stories about them all the time as though they were, you know, somehow closer to God than the average kid because mm-hmm. I knew better. And uh, uh, so I wanted my kids to have a chance to be ordinary kids. And during that time that they were teenagers especially, there were other Christian people who put pressure on me and my kids. And there was, for instance, a Christian school where they wanted my kids to be the leaders of a revival in the Christian school. And and I thought, my kids are just kids. They're they're not ministers. They're they're, they're just kids. Let them be kids. And and, and I, I think sometimes... And, and, and I, I saw some of those so-called leaders that they put pressure on. These are kids who are always crying and weeping and preaching to everybody in the school about y'all do this. They're the ones that are druggies today. They're the ones who've had three or four bad marriages today. They didn't do well because they, they, they never had a real life. And, and that's what I wanted my kids to have. I wanted them to realize my dad loves me. And, and, and I have a home, and my parents care about me, and it's not because I sing or I do this at church or I do that at church. It's because I'm their son or their daughter. I love the keeping them out of the spotlight. And one other thing I've heard you talk about before is the importance of when they're interested in something, you took that as your interest. Oh, yeah. If you do that, you'll never, ever lose your kids. You'll always have a bond with them. I I, I didn't. I don't know anything about skateboards, but I saw on my boards. Whit, Whit was uh, trying to build a uh, skateboard ramp, and it was two two-by-fours nailed across each other. It looked like a cross. And I said, you know, Jesus died on one of those, and if you run your skateboard over that one, you're going to die too. <laughs> and I said, let me help you build a ramp. And they said, really? I said, yeah, come on. We're, we're going to go get the lumber. So they jumped in the car with me, and we went down to the to the lumber yard to get all the plywood and everything you need for the ramp, some tools I didn't have. And they're rolling down the wind all the way out of the neighborhood. My dad's building a skateboard ramp. And we had all the neighborhood kids over as soon as I got that thing fixed. And uh, But I always had a bond with my boys because of that. And, uh, and, and when my daughter, uh, whatever they were interested in, we got interested in it too. And um, it gave me a platform to speak into their lives always. Uh, you know, people will talk about, I just lost my son when he was 13. I, I, I never let that happen. 
that happens not overnight. That's that's something that it that brews over a lengthy period, and uh, I just never lost touch with them. I heard you say one time, um, th- and you've done some amazing things. But I heard you say one time that you went home. I can't remember if it's if it's after a seeds conference or just a weekend at the church. I, I don't recall which it was, but that you went home and you told your wife the greatest thing we've done is raise four kids. Yep, that's it. That may be the greatest part of my legacy is the kids I've left behind me on earth. And I have great satisfaction in that. John said this. He said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children, and he was talking about spiritual children, but to see that my, my children walk in the truth. That's the greatest joy we can have is to know, you know what, we, we, we did something here. That may be our greatest accomplishment. Um, and our kids are not just good Christians, but they're leaders. They're all very strong. They're all highly motivated. They, they're not all gifted in the same way. And that's another thing you got to really watch. You got to kind of steer your kids toward where their gifting is, uh, not what you want them to be. And that just kind of unfolds. I never insisted that Whit preach or come into pastoral ministry. Uh, I created opportunities for them to work here in the early days, and I knew they could make more money here. Um, than they could at the gas station and, and uh, you know, or one of the convenience stores or sacking groceries or whatever. And so I, I encouraged them to come here. And then along the way, we, we helped them to learn trades. Both my boys were great graphic artists, mm-hmm. award-winning graphic artists before they got into ministry. But just being around the ministry lured them in, pulled them into the spiritual side. Yeah. Man, and we'll get to this here in a little bit, but as the transition you're going through now from you to wit, just... Uh, I'm really interested in this. But before we get to that, uh, one of the other things you talk about, and we touched on this just a little bit ago, but is being yourself in ministry. And especially when you see other churches and we're seeing the highlight reels and being tempted to, and I love the analogy you use, that you feel like sometimes it can feel like you're a slow-moving car on a racetrack. Mm -hmm. Um, Why is it so important to just remain you? Well, I'll say this. It's impossible to watch or take anything from anybody else and it not add something to you or affect you or alter you in some way or another. I'm a different preacher today than, say, what I was 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And that's because I've seen things in other people. I thought, I want that. I want to add that. But at the same time, what I've got to be careful of, there's no one person I'm going to look at and say, I'm going to recast myself in the mold of this guy, that's the one I want to be. And then uh, then I try to become something that I'm not. And people spot that right away. You you have a certain phoniness about you. You've got to be authentic. And uh, I'm always going to teach three-point sermons. That's what I do. And I know it's not popular nowadays, especially some of the younger guys. I know that. I get it. But I'm always going to have point A, point B, point C. I'm mm-hmm. always going to do that. I'm always going to do a scripture, and then I'm going to make you understand that scripture, and I'm going to give you some stories to illustrate what I'm talking about. One of the things that I've found out is that my stories very often open people's eyes more than the the idea, more than the scripture itself, mm-hmm. that it's the story that, that they listen to and they say, okay, now I get it. And I, I'm a huge believer in telling stories. Does that stem from your days in children's ministry, do you think? Yeah, it does. And, uh, uh, you know, I learned how to tell stories 
in the beginning, and in the beginning, nobody has any stories. You know, uh, you 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 understand that uh, stories beget stories. Once you learn to tell stories, you will always have stories. You will begin to see different things as stories. You'll think of things that people have told you as a great way to introduce a sermon. And what I introduced uh, my sermon with this last Sunday was a story that a pastor friend of mine told me about a month ago. Mm. And I thought it was that's a good story. I'm going to take that and use that to open my message. I called him to make sure I had the details right, and then I, I didn't uh, put some of the details in because they just weren't necessary. I tried to make the story as general as I possibly could, so it would have a broad appeal. But nonetheless, uh, that story is it was what made the first few minutes of my message engaging, and it hooked people. And so. Um, Stories are are huge, huge tools in in grabbing people. From my perspective, and we you've referenced the Easter message you just did. We'll we'll make sure to link that in the show notes over Thank on you. the blog so that people can can get to that real easy. Um, if you looking back and tell and talking about being authentic, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were thirty years old something, just one thing, what would you go back and tell yourself? You know, I was uptight when I was young, mm-hmm. I, I, no doubt about it, and. Um, couple of things that I know I did that were big mistakes. Number one, I didn't rejoice as much as I should have for the little victories along the way. I was so taken with, are we going to make it? And let's make a name for ourselves. Let's get out there. Let's do this. Let's go big. That even when God was blessing me with little stuff, um, I, I couldn't rejoice and it couldn't be happy. You know, I needed $10,000 and somebody gave me a $1,000 check and I couldn't be happy about the $1,000 check. I mean, that's a real sacrifice mm. for somebody. And I couldn't be happy about it because I wanted the $10,000. I needed 10 and only got one. And so I, if I could go back and shake myself, I'd say, hey, chill out. You're going to make it. Learn to rejoice. You, know, you, you wanted 10 new families on that big day you had, but you only got two. Hey, that's two families you didn't have before. Mm-hmm. Learn to be happy about that. And then the other thing I know that I did is I said yes to too many things. Mm-hmm. And um, this is something that goes way back deep in my life. As an athlete, um, I'll say as a football player, it, it wasn't that I was a great basketball and baseball because I wasn't, but I was a good football player. And part of what made me a good football player is I was fairly good size, I could run really fast, and I was very strong. And so what that allowed me to do was to play a number of different positions. And this is an incredible statement, but I played every single position on defense but safety. I was a corner, I was a linebacker, I was a nose guard, I was an outside lineman, I defensive end, played them all. Whoa. But And I got moved like that all the time. Every team I played for, and I played in three different high schools, I got moved like that constantly mm. because wherever there was a, a weak spot, they would move me to it and pull some other kid in to take the spot I had, and I was constantly being moved around. So I had this confidence that I could do anything I set my mind to. And when you have that, if you're not careful, you say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. Mm. And I didn't realize that when I was younger, but what that did is it diminished me in some ways. It kept me from, even as a football player, had I stayed focused on one position and stuck it out, I would have been a lot better player. I just jumped around too much to really get the most out of my talents. And which really didn't matter anyway. But but the point is, is that 
is that I did the same thing in ministry. And, uh, you know, er, er, we had a magazine. We didn't need it. Shouldn't have done it. It cost us a lot of money. Put a financial burden on me. We had every kind of TV show you think of. God told me to do Gospel Bill. I know that for a fact. I'm not certain about the other ones. You know, uh, but that one God blessed. He blessed it greatly. Mm-hmm. And uh, But just because we were blessed there, that doesn't mean that we should have done the other. I know God told me to do Christmas train out at Dry Gulch, but I tried to do something in uh, the springtime, and uh, it didn't work. Mm. And I thought just because we did it at Christmas, we can turn this thing around, do something else in the spring, and it didn't work. It was not the same. Mm. So, you know... You you have to be careful of what you say yes to because if you have a lot of confidence in any kind of ability, you'll say yes to more things than what you can possibly handle. Is there a I don't know if there's a magic number, but is, is there like a certain area that this is a good number for you? Of these are the areas of focus. You know, I think there's always that one thing mm. that you got to keep front and center. I'm not saying you can't have a couple of things off to the side, but there's going to be that one thing you're dominant in. Mm. And I know that in October of 1976, while I was in prayer about my future, I heard God say when I was living in the Texas Panhandle, you're going to pastor a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that came to me before there was a gospel bill. That came to me before there was the publishing of any curriculum. That came to me before any other thing, 180, fiber, not, I had none of that other stuff, mm. no inclinations toward those things. At the time, I knew someday I was going to be a pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that's one thing I've always fallen back on is, you know, there's all these other things God permitted me to do. He blessed them like Gospel Bill. He blessed it wildly. But that was a stage in my life that wasn't to last because he said to me first, you're going to pastor a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And that's what I always fell back on. So, yeah, you're going to have that one thing. Now, that doesn't mean that other things won't present themselves, but you've got to keep that one thing in the back of your mind. And there was a time when it was impossible for, for me to pastor a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The door wasn't open. I couldn't do it. Gospel it was the only thing I could do. So I said, okay, Lord, I'll table this one, and I'm going to go after this right here. But Gospel Bill really lasted strongly for about seven years, Mm. and that's about it. And I could see the end of it coming. And we did it a little longer, but I saw it tailing off after seven years, and I thought, I'm not going to do this forever. And uh, that's when I started the church. And Hmm. uh, That's really good. So it's just more of a razor focus, that one thing. Yeah, yeah. The more you, you know, it's like an ax. If you want to chop a tree down with an axe, you you use the, a fine point, a fine line. You don't hit it sideways. And it focuses where you get breakthrough. That's really good. Uh, so, so just to shift gears just a little bit here, you're coming into, uh, or have been, I guess, for a little while now, kind of a new phase of your ministry. And as you mentioned, Wit, your son, he's, he's starting to take over mm-hmm. uh, some operations of the church and... Uh, more and more, and I, I don't I don't know what the time frame is on the full transition. But how? What's the biggest challenge you're facing in this phase of ministry? Well, I realize there's going to be a day coming when I'm going to step on this campus, and I won't be the most influential person here. And uh, that that's 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 a big one for me because mm-hmm. it's always been that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can see that that is happening slowly. But at the same time. 
I don't want to be. I, I, I don't want to have to carry the load I've always carried. I don't want to have to be as responsible as I've always been. I, 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 you know, I just naturally see myself pulling back. I don't have the patience for details like I used to have. Hmm. And then the other thing is I don't have the aptitude for what the guys are doing today. I don't see it like they're seeing it. When they come in and say that we need to do this, this, and this, I go, wow, that's brilliant. And I see that the wisdom of God for where this church is going is being now given into the hands of my son. Not totally, but a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And and we don't have a timeline. We don't have a timetable. There are some things I'm going to be very good at that I'm supposed to keep up. And there are some things that Whit's better at than I am that he's going to do. And we have a wonderful relationship. We can work together. You know, I've always been a team guy. Way back in the very beginning, I had Ken Blunt with me and Blaine Bartell and Jim Weidman. I I never had a problem with sharing the spotlight with other people. And so it's been a little easier for me to have someone like my son to step up and share a lot of the spotlight than maybe some pastors because they've always been the only guy in the the public eye. And uh, that's never been the case with me. So I don't have a problem sharing uh, responsibility. And so we're just taking it a year at a time, and, and really not even a year at a time. Really, every few months, you know, we just kind of look at things and where do we want to go here. And when we set out to schedule the year, uh, right now it's a matter of do you want to preach a little bit more this year than you did last? And what, yeah, I want to do a little more. Okay, I can back off, and I'm getting more invitations to go out and yeah. speak in other churches. And so I want to go. I don't want to quit, but and I think I have something to say to a lot of younger guys. So the yeah. door's opening for me to go do that, whereas it wasn't yeah. as open a few years ago. And um, so there's no real timeline, no real timetable. We don't have to rush it. Why make an announcement or some official thing, you know, we've got to do this? It, just let it happen naturally. Mm. My goal is that someday people will just wake up and say, you know what? I, I hadn't even thought about it. Which the leader of this church? Man, he's the pastor here. That's as opposed to us making an announcement, yeah. boom. And 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 it, because to me, it, it almost says Pastor George is gone. I don't think the church is ready to see me go. Right. I'm not ready to go. But on the other hand, I'm ready to let go of a bunch of stuff. We're in that curious zone on a relay where we're in the baton lane, and we both got our hands on the baton. And uh, who's to say that uh, that you know we've got to pass it quickly? We, there's there's a season of passing that. That's where we are. Yeah. And not to blow any smoke, but it's a really smart transition. Just be, the overlap makes so much sense. You you run such less of a risk of running anybody off, right? Um, that keeping them along, he's he's got the opportunity to show his leadership while you're still here. In Absolutely, that seat. that's brilliant. Um, <clears throat> this next question, you may we may have already answered this one earlier, but I, I still want to ask it. If you can look back over these forty four years of ministry and you say, you know what, the one thing I did that I, going back, I would not change this. What would that thing be for you? The one thing that I would do that I I wouldn't change is my commitment to build everything on things I see in the Word and to be a Word guy. A lot of guys are trend guys, Mm. and but but I'm a Word guy. When someone comes up with something that works and it it looks great. my first reaction is, okay, yeah, let me find scripture for that. Let me, let me see that somewhere in the book of Acts, or in, let me see that in the Gospels, or let me see that in, in um, 
you know, let me see it in the scriptures. That that's what I want to do. I, I'm I'm always a word guy. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This way we train ministers. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. First thing he did is he qualified people. He didn't just call anybody to him. He made sure that these are people who had certain characteristics that that qualified them. Secondly, he brought them in and he modeled things. He showed them how to do it. It was on the job training. It was teaching, but the greatest form of teaching is teaching and observation. And if you can model ministry where you're teaching guys while you're taking them on the journey, that on-the-job training, it sticks so much better than just being in a classroom. So he qualified, he modeled, and then he released. And when you release people, they release you. What a lot of people don't realize is that training those 12 disciples released Jesus. We think about him releasing them, but they released him as much as he released them. And what I mean by that is... Suppose Christ comes, does all the miracles, doesn't have any helpers, goes to the cross, dies, and is ascended back into heaven. Who's going to tell the story? Where does it go from here? It all stops. So really, the whole work of Jesus hinges on whether or not he finds these guys. And when they come along and take up the responsibility for telling the story, they release him to go to heaven. All release is two-sided. We release others, they release us. It's what's happening with me and Whit right now. I'm releasing him, but he's releasing me. And that's what I love about the Word. Everything that I've got to do, every decision I've got to make in life and ministry, there, there's a story somewhere in the Gospels, or the book of Acts, maybe the Old Testament. There's something somewhere that's going to spell this out for me, show me what to do. And that's what I love. I wouldn't change that. Those are the things that have given me confidence over the years. You just have a, a real solid grounding in the Word of God and a love for the Word. And I, 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 I am concerned that a lot of guys don't get that today. And I would say do a lot of reading. Do a lot of reading. Get some of the old guys. Don't just read the newer commentaries. Get some of the old stuff. Learn to read that stuff. Learn to dig in it. I think one of the mistakes young ministers make today is they think that they are learning things that have never been seen before. And one of the things I'm convinced of is I go back and read writings that are two and three hundred years old, and I thought, wow, these guys saw it too. We thought we had it, but they saw it too. We thought we were the first ones to see it, but they, they saw it too. And they had some amazing insight. And that's why I think it's so important to have a great base in the Word. Are there any of those study tools that you're referencing that you'd recommend? You know, I use a bunch of stuff. I do. I jump all over the place. Of course, I, you know, I love Strong's Concordance. I use it as a base just to define the definition of words. I love W. Vines' Expository Dictionary of New Testament. Thayer's is a good one. I like... Uh, Did you we, say Thayer's? Thayer's. T-H-A-Y-E-R. Okay. Yes. Uh, then there is a... Uh, Bible out there called uh, 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 the Companion Bible by E.W. Bollinger. He really is the guy who inspired Finest Dake. And if you look at uh, a Dake's Bible and then go back and read Bollinger, you'll see that that Bollinger's the papa of Dake, in my opinion. And it had some tremendous understanding of Greek, Hebrew, customs, and so forth. I've got a whole volume. It's huge. A friend gave it to me. It's called Encyclopedia Judaica. And if there's a ta- something in the Old Testament I don't get, I go to Encyclopedia Judaica, and it'll give me the Jewish view of this from thousands of years ago, which sometimes helps me in understanding Old Testament stuff. 
Um, so uh, that's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that's an absolute must, but it's been helpful. Um, uh, let me think. Kenneth Wiest, translations, he's got a four-volume set of the Greek New Testament, which is phenomenal. Great stuff. Uh, there's a guy we've been reading after uh, lately on the Book of Romans, which has revolutionized my life. His name is Donald Gray Barnhouse. Big, thick book. And uh, I, I love it. Love the stuff in it. Um, so the, uh, Matthew Henry uh, is another one I'll look at mm-hmm. from time to time. And it's funny, I don't. Uh, I, I, when I study, I, I, I will kind of gravitate toward the one that I feel like may help me the most for the particular thing. And after a while, I kind of figure out, okay, this guy's going to help me get this truth out today. For instance, this last week, it was Kenneth Wiest and, and W. Vines, Expository Dictionary, New Testament Words. And uh, that, those two really helped me put my message together this last week. Well, Pastor, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, if folks want to get in touch with you, is it best just to follow you on Twitter? Yeah, follow me on Twitter. Is and, it Willie underscore George? Uh, yeah, it's Willie underscore George. Okay. Is it? At, there's another poor guy in Tennessee that's at Willie George without the gap. <laughs> and, and he's a good sport about the whole thing. <laughs> he's a great guy. He's got a wonderful name. And he's a believer. But the poor guy gets <laughs> blasted all the time because of me. So i got to buy him dinner or something <laughs> Again, Pastor, thank you so much for joining us today. You bet. Roman, that interview was incredible. Like, I don't even know what to say right now. It was that good. You're not saying anything. (laughs) (laughs) You're not saying anything. That's how good that interview was. That was really good, really good. Good night. One of my favorite things, there was so much gold dropped in that interview um, from the way he does his study to uh, uh, not putting your kids on the platform and in the spotlight, uh, letting them just be kids, uh, to making time for your spouse. One of my all, one of my favorite things, uh, and I've taken this and even taught it to our team already here at Kids on the Move, uh, is your ministry is not your relationship with Jesus. It's so huge. It's so huge because when you're working at a church, it can easily feel like I'm at a church all day, every day. This is this is where I get my, you know, this is where I, my relationship comes from, is from being around, in and around the church. And it's it's not the case. You have to have a personal walk with, with Jesus. And I love that as well. So good. So good. Uh, man, folks, go back and listen to this episode again, maybe two or three times. Uh, if you would, go ahead and hit subscribe on iTunes. And make sure you have first access to these amazing interviews. Uh, the next interview coming out, Roman, episode 30, will be with Brad Lominick, the author of H3 Leadership. It is an incredible interview. Awesome. Uh, you don't want to miss that. So go ahead and hit subscribe, leave a review, share it on social media. Uh, which, speaking of social media, Roman. Yeah, Jared, we live in a, in a fast-paced world of communication. The, t- the millennials with the phones, everyone's got a, a, a phone attached to their hand. The they're youths? All, the youths, they're always tweeting, uh, commenting, Facebook messaging each other. And uh, hey, we're on these we're on these things. Creative underscore sheep yep. is uh, how you're going to find us. And feel free to drop us a line. Say, hey, I really like that episode. Or, hey, I would love to um, ask you what your you know favorite dessert is. And maybe we could like have a conversation over the interweb. What is your favorite dessert? There's a dessert. Uh, there's a dessert in place. <laughs> what am I saying? There's a dessert in a place called Papa's Brothers in Dallas. Yes. Called Turtle Pie. That is outstanding. Nice. 
Uh, so if you're ever at Papa's Brothers, stop and get a turtle pie. Definitely. It's an interesting name. Folks, thanks if for you listening. Tell them, if you tell them I sent you, you're going to get uh, 50% off. That's that's not true at all. <laughs> but thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time with our interview with Brad Lominick. Uh Check y'all later. 